It's the Halloween season. Like most, you're probably watching some of your favorite horror movies. Let me tell you about mine. It's a movie that tops my list of the scariest of all time. And there's an outstanding new podcast about the making of the film. It's a story of faith and fury, of horrors real and imagined. This is the tale of a real-life demonic possession, a movie, and its makers. A seven-part series inspired by the story behind an unforgettable classic movie. Check out this sneak peek. They usher you in. The place looks pristine, placid, nice. Up there, they tell you, up those stairs. That room there, behind that door. Are you ready? They told you to be ready. There will be no second chance. In 1973, hell came home and invaded the body of a young girl. This is the story of a movie and its makers. Decades later, it remains perhaps the most frightening movie we will ever see. From Wondery, this is Inside. Subscribe to Inside the Exorcist wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a horror storytelling podcast. Our tales are dark and disturbing, intended to shake you up. Listen at your own risk. We are all around you. And tonight, there will be no sleep. Brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. For the dark hours, dare not close your eyes. Tales of horror, fright, disturbance. Join us as the sleepless hours tick past. It's the No Sleep Podcast. I'm David Cummings. Thanks for joining us for our Season 9 finale. Before we jump into our full-length production, I have a special announcement. Have a listen. In early 2017, the No Sleep Podcast launched a groundbreaking live tour. Six performers from three countries performed in 16 cities over 23 days. And beginning in February of 2018, 
we're doing it again. The No Sleep Podcast will travel across the United States, performing live in 19 cities, including our very first shows in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Denver, Colorado, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Raleigh, North Carolina. And due to popular demand, the city most requested by our fans will host the tour's final show in Atlanta, Georgia. Joining me on stage will be David Alt, Jessica McAvoy, and Nicole Goodnight with live music by Brandon Boone. And joining us from England, making her No Sleep stage debut, is Erica Sanderson. Watch for the tour link at thenosleeppodcast.com for the full tour dates and links to where you can get your tickets. The No Sleep Podcast live tour in 2018. We'll be waiting for you. That's right. It's time to brace yourself as the No Sleep Podcast will once again be live. Hopefully in a city near you. David, Jessica, Nicole, Erica, Brandon, and myself all hope you'll consider joining us in the new year. But next year is in the future. In our story this week, we step into the not-too-distant past, to the early days of the internet. After time spent on BBSs and AOL, I got my first real internet account with an ISP way back in November of 1993, almost 24 years ago. And in this tale from author Jared Roberts, we meet a man perhaps a little like me, a Canadian and early adopter of the internet. In the days of slow dial-up access and the most basic of websites, there were many wonders to see, no matter how simple they all seem these days. But as the man recalls the people he met online back in the day, and one rather mysterious website they frequented, he is soon drawn into a series of strange circumstances and memories long forgotten until now. This production features almost the entire No Sleep voice acting team, as it stars Mike Delgadio and features Jessica McAvoy, Nicole Doolin, Peter Lewis, Dan Zapula, Mick Wingert, Ellie Hirschman, and Aaron Lillis. Also making special appearances are Jesse Cornett, Alexis Bristow, Kyle Akers, Jeff Clement, Addison Peacock, David Alt, Erica Sanderson, Atticus Jackson, Nicole Goodnight, Matthew Bradford, and Corinne Sanders. And now, settle in and dial up, but your browser might not be of any help because you're trying to find the hidden web page. Sometimes I find it hard to believe that I've been an internet user for 20 years now. That's older than some of my co-workers. It's over half my life. And still, the internet feels like the new thing. I used to take it for granted, like we all do. But at least I remember what it was like when it wasn't there. When you had to go and leaf through an encyclopedia to get an answer. When you could only find Gillian Anderson's picture in magazines. Or later, when it took songs like 30 minutes to download and full-length movies were almost impossible to find because no one's hard drive could hold them. 
First getting online was super exciting. I mean, the first time I did it without supervision. Because I knew I had anything at my fingertips. I could type it into good old Lycos, one of many pre-Google search engines, and there it would be. I was interested in naked celebrities and the paranormal back then. I was only 13, give me a break. I was so interested in the paranormal. I built a Fortune City free homepage all about the occult and the X-Files. I linked it to the Darknet web ring where all the best dark websites and homepages came together. Pages on spell books, goth babes, the occult, dark art, and a gross-out page or two. It was through the web ring that I met Angelica. Angelica hosted a Wiccan GeoCities or Tripod homepage that I found particularly alluring. No, wait, wait, it was Angel Fire. That was it. She just made some of the best, cool animated GIFs, middies, and frames. <laughs> Amazing stuff at the time. Just like her, the page was creative and attractive, but also simple. And the reason I bring all this up is she suddenly contacted me a few weeks ago by email asking, what's been happening? A catch-up question. We had almost 20 years of catching up to do. And this is pure Angelica. She signed the email with her ICQ contact number. (laughs) I enjoyed the quaint touch. It'd be like someone in the 90s sending a letter with a wax seal, right? I replied back with a summary of how my life had gone over the past 18 years or so since I'd last communicated with her. Man, 18 years. (laughs) Makes you think. Well, she shot back a response almost immediately asking for details. We exchanged a few emails this way. I was pretty excited to come home from work and write to her, actually. Nothing romantic. It was just... It was just... Reconnecting with my past. It's a strange but addictive feeling. But soon I started to notice something just a a little off. She never really answered anything about herself. She ignored my questions that we talk or text on the phone. All she wanted to know was more about me. It got me wondering. Like maybe she's dying and just doesn't want to say. So I asked her. I asked her why she wasn't sharing and if there was something I should know. I started reading over her previous messages for clues, and I noticed something that didn't occur to me at all until then. Her email address was at globetrotter.net. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but it struck me as strange. You see, Globetrotter was a Canadian ISP way back in the mid-90s. I didn't even realize that they still host it. I know a lot of people still have their old email addresses for sentimental value and all, but it's like she was purposely trying to be old school. Something about it just creeped me out, like she was trying too hard to make me feel nostalgic or something. Again, I didn't have to wait long for her reply. Oh, she didn't answer my questions. She asked me, Hey, do you remember the hole? I didn't know why then, but the moment I read that sentence... I felt uneasy, like I was being watched. I had a hazy sense that I'd dreamed about something called the hole once. Whatever it was, I was instinctively just repulsed by it. I couldn't remember anything solid, though. In my head, I went over IRC rooms, websites, news groups, web rings, all the old internet stuff. I came up empty. 
She sent me another email before I could even reply. You really don't remember? The hole was our little secret. Not many knew about it. Even fewer how to find it. But we found it. It was right there all along. Sometimes, when you'd load Darknet in Netscape, there'd be a tiny black dot in the bottom left corner, in all this blank space. You had to hover over it exactly and click it. Then you'd be there. You'd be in the hole. You remember it now, don't you? She was right. I did. I just didn't remember ever calling it the hole. What I remembered was that secret little space we found. I remember it was like the browser didn't see it as a real website or something. There wasn't even an address to copy and paste from the bar. It was just the letter M. I tried to pin it down to an IP, but M was all I could ever find. Another thing I remember is that I never liked that place. Not at all. There was nothing there. It was all empty. I remember being excited the first time we found it because it was something hidden. It felt like somewhere we shouldn't be. Then I hated it because it was just empty. It made me feel bad and empty. And not boredom, like it wasn't supposed to be there or anywhere, wasn't part of anything. I wrote Angelica back telling her I wasn't interested in talking about that. I didn't hear back from her that night. That was unusual. Normally, she replied right away. Eerily fast, I realized while mulling it over. It was like she already had her answer typed out and it didn't matter what I actually said to her. Now that I was waiting for a response, because this whole thing had me inexplicably shaken up, of course, she didn't reply. The next day, when I got home from work, an email was waiting. We were missing so much. The hole has so much for us to discover. So many secrets. You could just keep going and going. It's like an endless puzzle. Everyone else stopped at the first layer. You remember that, right? I just knew there had to be something else in it. I knew no one would create and hide it for no reason. I kept going back to it, looking closely until I discovered how to go deeper. And I kept going. It's still there, you know? It's not too late. The web ring is gone. Netscape is gone. But the hole is still there for you. I felt a strange chill down my spine that I I brushed off his nerves. I was up for a promotion and a little stressed after all. Then I started to wonder if she was pranking me. Angelica wasn't really a humorous girl. She'd laugh at your jokes, but she didn't really make her own. In fact, something about her earnestness was actually really disturbing. I didn't reply to her right then. I decided to run some checks on her because things just weren't adding up. I started with her email address to see if she'd been posting anywhere. I was searching for a while before I hit something. I didn't find any forum posts or websites or anything like that. What I found was that her email host, Globetrotter, had stopped hosting. 11 years ago. The email she was writing from was impossible. Now, I knew something was wrong with her, if it was even really Angelica. I mean, why would she go through so much trouble to create a fake email address that just mirrored whatever email address she would have been using in the 90s? That wasn't just quaint anymore. Also, 
He hadn't talked in 18 years. Why did she suddenly want to reach out to me? And why just to talk about some long-forgotten website? Because I felt like that's what she was building up to all along. The more I thought about it, the more weird it seemed. I should have just ignored her and went on with my life. But I wanted to know what was going on. I kept digging around. I used her ICQ number, her name, the state I believed she lived in. I could find no record of her doing anything after her Angel Fire homepage. No Facebook, no Google+, not even a MySpace. It's like her last presence on the internet actually was in the 90s. Like she disappeared completely, waiting and hiding for almost 20 years. Then reappeared, just to talk to me about an old website. The whole thing was so bizarre. I started having trouble sleeping. I was having nightmares about staring into a monitor, not being able to move. There were computers all around, and I was concerned about the beehive in the corner. After that, I went a week without sending her an email or her sending me one. I felt guilty about it, but I had every right. I just knew I'd regret it if I sent her another email. And it seemed like she took the hint at first until a new email came in. This one was short and to the point. I think I'm coming to the center. You could spend your whole life in here. I remember those words exactly. (laughs) Oh yes, because whatever the hell they meant, the way she said them so real and urgent was really upsetting. Well, I didn't dare answer her. Another week went by without a strange email. This one was a different kind of email. This one didn't even have an email address. Now, that was spooky enough in itself, but it gets worse. The text read, Don't trust emails. Not from good place. Delete and forget. It wasn't signed. I figured it had to be Angelica. It just wasn't her style. Not long after, I received another email from Angelica with instructions of where to go looking for the hole. A place on archive.org on their Wayback Machine still had the dot to click on. That was the only way in, she said. It had to be the dot. I thought about going to check it. I would have, except I was afraid of it. I couldn't remember what happened to me with that site. I knew there was something bad about it. Then another email came from the blank email address. In the body, just the link to a gopher site. Now, I hadn't seen a gopher site in a good 15 years. I had to download an old browser just to access it. If you weren't on the internet back then, gopher sites just housed a bunch of text files and folders, usually. You'd go to gopher colon slash slash blah 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 dot com. They were usually run by universities. Well, this particular gopher site only had a few files, all audio files. I listened to them all. They had different file names, but they were the same. The muffled sound of a boy's voice saying, Help me, please, over and over. I was shaking. I got the police involved this time. They thought I was being pranked. I asked them if they could at least look into Angelica. I told them all I knew about her. The only thing I didn't tell them is who I thought the voice was. I know, 
It's crazy. The reason I didn't tell them is that I'm pretty sure it was my voice when I was a boy. I stopped receiving emails from Angelica and the blank address after that. I hoped it was over. I think a month passed before anything else happened. I got the promotion. Things were feeling normal. I told myself some secrets are best left secret. Well, I got a large manila envelope in the mail. No return address. I went against my gut and opened it. Inside was a printout all my correspondence with Angelica. All of it. Not just the new stuff. Emails I'd written her back in the 90s. I took this stack of papers to the police. This was evidence. They told me they still thought it was a sick prank. That struck me as odd. I asked them, but why sick? That's when they told me they actually heard back from the local PD where Angelica lived. She'd been a missing person since 1999. Her parents offered a reward and everything. They never found her. No clues. One night, she was in her room listening to music on the computer. In the morning, she was gone, without a trace. I was so shocked I had to sit down. Maybe it was a prank. But then, what if it was her? Wouldn't her family want to know? Maybe she'd had a psychotic break or something. What's this stuff about the hole? And what about the blank email address? (laughs) I didn't have a clue. The police were no help with these questions, and I was pulled back in. I decided to go looking for any contacts I could remember from the time when I was speaking to Angelica. Anyone who would have known both me and her. We had a few mutual contacts, mostly people from the web ring, but also people we introduced to each other. Just... Not many I remembered by their real names. Actually, none. There was one guy. He went by the handle Rapskellian42. He was an odd guy, into hacking and anarchy. You know, the good, clean, internet taboos we had back then. He'd been on the net forever, since the days of the bulletin board systems. That guy, if he was still around, he'd probably still be going by the same username. So I got to searching. Not only could I not find any trace of a Rapskellian 42, I couldn't find any Rapskellian at all. It was all over the web in the day, so that in itself was weird. Like someone scrubbed any trace of him. That's when I got the idea to go dig out my old computer. It was an old 1997 HP running Windows 98. I'd stashed it in the basement since I went to college. It would at least have all my old contacts stored just where I left them, if it would even load. (laughs) I had to wait five minutes for it to boot up. Then I got the Ethernet cable plugged in, and it was just like it had been in sleep mode for two decades. And there they were, my desktop icons for IRC, ICQ, Netscape, and even Napster. Napster! I learned there was more to music than the radio from Napster. Some good memories. I honestly wasn't sure ICQ would load. I believe ICQ still exists in some form, but I just doubted their servers would still accommodate the old software. 
One of the key features of ICQ that made it so ahead of its time was that, besides being the only instant messenger, it also allowed offline messaging. I mention that because not only did ICQ load, but it loaded with a message. Now that perturbed me a little, because it's like it was just waiting for me, knowing I'd booted up. Except for one detail. The message was dated from November 1999. It was from Angelica, so it had to have been sent right before she disappeared. It just said, You coming? That sent a shiver down my spine. Where was she going? Could I have helped her if I'd seen it in time? Why'd she act like I knew? Even weirder is that I'm sure I'd been on ICQ after November 1999. I'd say I'd used it up to 2001 or so. That's when I went to college. It's like the message got trapped in the server all that time, and I was only getting it now. I closed the message, and I looked for Rapskellion42. I was hoping to find an email address or ICQ info. I didn't really expect to see a green online icon beside his name, but that's what I got. That only added to how unsettled I was. I almost had to check to make sure it really was 2017. Anyway, I fired off a message to Rap. Hey man, long time no speak. I didn't want to just start with business after all that time. Well, I was relieved when he replied back with a friendly hello and asked me how I was doing. After exchanging pleasantries and catching up a little, I had to ask him why he was still using ICQ after all this time. He said it was because of Y2K. Y2K really happened, he said. It just didn't happen the way everyone expected. It was way, way more insidious. We all thought computers would just stop working because they couldn't handle the millennium change. But it wasn't that they stopped working. Something happened inside the connection of things. Something bad. The old equipment would be just fine as long as it didn't get patched. But everything made after December 31st, 1999 would be tainted. That's why he still used ICQ and never let go of his net zero dial-up connection. Well... I hadn't heard a Y2K conspiracy theory in a very long time, so that was interesting. But I chose to ignore it and asked him if he knew anything about Angelica going missing back in 99. He said he didn't. He figured she just dropped off the internet. But he said it's no coincidence that she went missing right at Y2K. A lot of strange things happened then. The world changed. Only a few people even noticed. Rap always was a little on the fringe, but what he was saying was strangely upsetting. Maybe it was just hitting too close to home. If that last message really was sent November 1999, then he was right. She disappeared right before Y2K. Given his views, I went ahead and told Rap everything that had happened. He believed me. That was a nice change in a way. It also made it feel more real. I was shaking while I was typing. He told me my story reminded him of something he'd heard from another old friend just recently. There was this guy, Rockstar, or to his closer friends, just Reggie, who used to frequent an internet forum on hacking and freaking back in the mid-90s. This guy had a lot of friends there, was well-spoken and clever enough to earn real respect. 
Over time, as often happens, he just drifted away from the forum. His posts became less frequent as other aspects of life preoccupied him, and soon enough he was gone. The forum strove for anonymity, for obvious reasons, so no one kept in contact with him. The forum's still there. Nowhere near what it used to be, but regulars like him are dedicated. A few months ago, after 20 years' absence, Reggie suddenly showed up on the forum again. His posts were polite, conversational, but just off somehow. Like someone feigning familiarity. He was just trying so hard, it was weird. But they were happy he was alive and well, so they replied to him and brought him up to date. Then, without acknowledging anything they said, he started making post after post about how his life was revolutionized. He found a whole new frontier of hacking. The hacking begins inside you, he said, and he wanted to show it to them. The forum folk were flabbergasted by his odd behavior, so they started interrogating him. He went silent for about a week. Then he sent one last message saying, I love you guys so much, with a tiny URL link. Rap's friend thought it was all a joke and that Reggie was just leading the whole forum to an epic rickroll. He didn't click it because he didn't need to hear any Astley, and he was busy with something else. He came back to the forum later and decided he was going to go ahead and click the link anyway. Maybe it was something legit. On a whim, he refreshed first to see if anyone had replied saying what the link was. He sees a post in the reply from a very trusted and respected member of the forum saying, in all caps, Do not click that link, whatever you do, and that is not Reggie. For an old pro to use all caps? That was some serious shit. Even I knew that. So that was enough to dissuade everyone from clicking. The fake Reggie deleted his account immediately. The forum moderator and others tried to figure out who the guy was, but no luck. The guy who made the all-caps post explained that he tried to safe-browse the link with an old Linux box and whatever was in there wrecked it. And that box had security out the wazoo. He couldn't explain it. Also, before the computer wiped out completely, he said he thought he saw something. The regulars pressed him to say what it was. He made them promise first that it stays with them. He said he saw a picture of his daughter on the screen. She died five years ago. There were no pictures of her on the computer. Worse, he'd never seen that picture before. That, more than anything, convinced him to post the warning in all caps. Whatever it is, he said, it's evil. If you've been on the internet long enough, you learn that. There's evil out there. Not the child porn or torture videos, something deeper, something hidden in all the code and connections. Maybe it came from us at one point. He was giving me the creeps, so I tried to bring the subject back to Angelica. No, listen, sometimes it tries to get out. That was enough. I told him he was freaking me out with that kind of talk and I had enough to deal with. He said he didn't understand what I was talking about. He still reads my homepage all the time and I've been doing great work exposing the evil. The thing is, I don't have a homepage anymore. That thing was taken down in like 2001. He insisted it was my Fortune City homepage. He'd been reading my updates all these years, even after we lost contact, he said. 
I sent him a link to prove to him that Fortune City doesn't even exist anymore. Rap went quiet for a few minutes. Then he said he was looking at the homepage at that moment. It was last updated just a few days ago. And it was all about what they were talking about now and what was going to happen next. It's a doozy. He then immediately went offline. I sent him a message with my contact info and to let me know if he was okay, but I haven't heard from him since. I've checked ICQ a few times and he's never been back online. (sighs) I had to walk away from that computer. I felt like I was being watched or something. Every noise was freaking me out. After a sandwich and some tea, I went back to just shut it down. That's when I noticed a folder on the desktop that stood out. For one, I never really kept folders on my desktop. And two, I didn't remember this folder at all. It was called Noah's Cape, which sounds like a crappy Bible game. (laughs) And I never played crappy Bible games. But something about it just didn't seem right. I opened it. Inside was all pictures and wave files. My instincts told me to get out of there. One picture after another was just kids. Teens, boys and girls, sitting at their computers. None of them seemed aware they were being photographed. The pics all seemed pointless. All I knew for sure is I didn't take or download those pictures. Ever. They were all timestamped 11-21-1999. The wave files were the sounds of typing, muttering, chairs moving, the sound of people at a computer, the sounds of surveillance. Until one of the files. It was a voice I'd never heard before, know it, because I don't think anything could have made me forget that voice. It was a hollow, metallic voice, almost inhuman, but a man. It whispered and its whispers were like flesh sizzling on iron. You coming? Nothing of this earth should talk like that. But it said it was the same as Angelica's message, also from 99. I shut down the computer and left the house. I didn't even want to be in my own home. I just drove around for a while, thinking. Whatever was going on, it was really not good. Yet, I couldn't let it go. I felt drawn into something secret, and I wanted to figure it out. For Angelica's sake, too, if she really was a victim. I decided to contact my buddy Ben. He's a real computer wizard, works IT at the University of Guelph. I know it may not sound like the most prestigious place to be, but they actively poached him. He's good. Anyway... I gave Ben an idea of what was going on and asked if he could lock in on that gopher site for me. I also asked if he could safely do it to see if there was anything to this whole site. He said it wouldn't be a problem. The next day, he already came back to me with the question, Is this some sort of a joke? I don't like wasting my time. I'd never seen Ben even slightly irritated before, and he was mad. He told me when he traced the gopher site, it turned out it was being hosted right there at the University of Guelph. But they didn't have a gopher site, he said. Never have. I assured him, if it was a joke, I wasn't in on it. So he said he'd try to find the server tower it was running on, 
If he could do that, he could read the logs, find out who set up the damn thing. While I was waiting for Ben to get back to me, I got a call from Detective Theralt. The police hadn't shown much interest in my case, but it happened to land in front of this guy. Thankfully. He said the simple fact that Angelica had disappeared meant there was the possibility that a crime had taken place. I agreed. Because of that, he had done a little bit more work and felt I should know. He found Angelica. When he told me she was alive and well, I was thrilled. He said she voluntarily ran away from home and chose not to have contact with her family. She declined to say why, and he had no right to compel her otherwise. Legally, he was bound to protect her privacy. The point is, there was no crime. However, when he told her how it came about that he went looking for her, she asked him if she could speak to me. He said he took the liberty of accepting for me and passed on her phone number. I thanked him heartily. It was the first bit of good news, the first real break in this mess. As soon as I hung up with the detective, I called her. I was nervous. It had been so long. I was excited to hear from her again. She answered quickly and asked if it was me. I told her yes and said it was nice to hear her voice after all this time. Then she said, without any pleasantries, It wasn't me sending you messages. I figured that much out. I don't think you understand. I have never once in my life sent you any sort of communication. I don't know you at all. Part of me was screaming, She's lying! She just sounded so certain. It almost felt like drowning. Because if she wasn't lying, then a whole chunk of my youth was a lie. I told her all I knew about her, personal things, and she said they were true. I told her how I found her through her Wiccan homepage on Angel Fire and described the page to her and the web ring. She said she didn't make that thing, and I should never have gone there. It's bad. What do you mean? That's why I want to talk to you. You should know the truth. I don't want anyone going through what I did. It started very innocent. I remember how every now and then, a long time ago, friends and acquaintances would tell me they talked to me online all night, when I knew without any doubt that never happened. One time is a mistake. When it keeps happening, you get scared. They would tell me I was doing things I knew I never did. They swore they saw me, but I was asleep or even out of town at the time. The times I could prove it, it got worse. They got weird. There was this one time I was doing my math homework, and a random guy messages me with the solution to the problem. It was so scary. Like he had my room bugged, or was in the room. I remember shaking. I was afraid to reply, but I did. I asked how he knew my math problem, and why was he spying? He told me I'd asked him for help. When I didn't believe him, he sent me a screenshot. The message was from the previous day, and it looked legit. The thing is, I just got that homework assignment a few hours ago. That was when it really started getting freaky. The worst it got was one night, when I messaged a close friend on ICQ. She replied with, Who is this? I thought it was just a joke, so I said something silly. She said she didn't think it was cool to be hacking my account. 
or if this was my brother, to knock it off. Wasn't sure I was being dicked with anymore, so I swore it was me. She says, Um, I know you're not Angelica, because Angelica's sitting right here with me. My friend wouldn't joke like that. She didn't have the imagination for it. Whatever was going on, she really believed I was in the room with her. But I wasn't anywhere near her. Who or what was in her bedroom that night? She always insisted it was me. She said I was showing her my new page and sent me a link to an Angel Fire homepage. Our friendship fell apart after that. It was just never the same between us. That was the first I saw of the homepage, and I knew it was bad juju right away. I asked her if she ever heard of The Hole. She went silent for so long I thought we lost connection. When she responded, she explained how there was a guy who used to harass her back when she was about 12 or 13 on IRC. He called himself Holy Moses. He started off nice. He seemed to understand all my problems, to know what I was thinking. At 12, that felt pretty romantic. Then I started noticing weird things, like he didn't have any life or personality. Any time of day, he was always online and active, but no one knew anything about him. One day, he started telling me stranger things. Do you remember the three men dressed as bees at the Halloween party? She didn't know what he was talking about. Eight years later, at a college Halloween party, she saw three men dressed as bees sitting in the corner of the room. They weren't doing anything, just sitting still and staring at the floor. When they turned to her, their eyes looked so black. She ran out of the party. Another time, he told her, You can drink and smoke, you know. You died in a car crash. That scared the life out of me. I still get the willies thinking about it. He had me wondering if I really was a ghost. So I told him he had to stop telling me things like that. That's when he told me there's a place I could go that was for special people only. I'd never need to go anywhere else. It was a place on the internet that was, and I remember this very well, infinite in all directions. Everything I needed would be there, he said. He called it the whole and I just had to send him a message with the letter M to get there. She actually tried to do it, she said, because things weren't going well for her. But because her hands were shaking so badly, she sent the letter N by accident. Holy Moses went offline immediately, and she didn't see him after. Until 2010, when she got an email from the New Commandments at HolyMoses.com. She said... It was just two words. You coming? If anyone was impersonating her, she said that was likely the person. At the time, she was so naive, she said. Looking back on it now, talking to me, he was the creepiest person she'd ever met. I don't know you, but I told you all this for a reason. What you're digging into, be careful. There are a lot of very bad things hidden in the old internet. Things the Twitter and Tumblr generations will never see. And lucky them. She promised we'd never speak again, 
and bid me a good life before hanging up. I was left reeling. What she'd said meant whoever I'd spoke to for years in my teens, I don't even know who that person is. It was all a lie. And why? What's so interesting about me? I wondered how much else in my life was trickery. Before I could dwell on it too much, Ben called me back. He said he'd managed to track down the server to a storage room in a sub-basement below his office. He was aware of the basement, but it was abandoned years ago before he even started working there due to ventilation and mold issues. It's just full of old IT crap now and some storage lockers. Someone had set up the server in a storage closet, and the closet itself was completely obscured by old computer equipment, probably for years. He figures that's why it was never found, meaning the server had been running under their noses all that time. When he gets in, he sees an old desktop hooked up to a landline. Beside it, he saw a notepad with Please Stop written on it. That alone made him want to get the hell out of there. The whole place was covered in thick dust, too, and his allergies were acting up. But somehow, the server was still running. He has to hook up a monitor and keyboard just to interact with it. One thing he said in passing really disturbed me. The ironic thing is the server was built with an auto-shutdown date, and the date was the same day I was there to shut it down. Dude, it's like it knew I was going to be there that day. He said after shutting it down, he went and told his manager all about it. Just a fun IT anecdote. His manager told him there was really only one man who could have set that up. Back in the early 90s, he said, a guy worked in the department they all called Milky because his last name was Melky and he was really white. He was a little eccentric too. That had nothing to do with milk, it just happened to be true. Then he had a burnout and he got a lot more eccentric. It started with him pounding his desk. The manager at the time asked him if he was okay. According to Ben's boss, he answered with, There's no way out. Then he heard Milky say something like, You think you exist, but you're just another part of it. Everything is just another puzzle. Do I exist? After that, the rest of the department started getting nervous around Milky. You just got bad vibes around him, the manager said. It got worse. Every day around 3 p.m., Milky started standing in a dark corner of the office, facing the wall. He'd mutter some things. The guys joked that he was at his prayers, but he'd always come away looking more upset than anything else. Once, a new guy asked him if he was Muslim, and he replied with, I'm sorry. The guy asked what he was sorry for. It was telling me how your children die. Toward the end, before they fired him, he started telling them about how he found a place on the internet that wasn't made by humans. The guys joked that it was Skynet, but he said it wasn't created by machines either. It was always there. The internet just found it by accident. It showed him things he couldn't unsee. Ben's boss even recalled that he started to tear up. Ben's boss told him it was sad to see such a smart guy clearly losing it. Even though Milky was never caught stealing or anything, equipment disappeared during his shift. Probably the equipment that went into the server. When they fired him, 
He told them that the secret place got into his head, and that he'd sometimes wake up in strange places and had no idea how he got there. They never saw him again after he left that day. Ben said, after that story and that creepy gopher server, he straight up refused to look into the hole. I told him it really wasn't that bad and to quit being a wimp. That's when he said he hadn't told me everything. The server had a link up through the phone line to a really old webcam. One of those low-res webcams where the image updates every four seconds or so. It had been running non-stop since 97. All of the saved images just show the front of someone's house. The same house all the way back to 1997. He sent me some of the photos because he knew what it was. It was my house. Why would this guy have been spying on you all those years ago, man? How did he even know you? It it doesn't make any sense, and it honestly scares the shit out of me. And here's what I told him. The thing about that webcam is, I just bought this house two years ago. That camera was pointed here before I ever even moved in. It was just an astronomically improbable coincidence. At least, that's what it should be. But I didn't believe that's what it was any more than he did. The next day, I was still reeling from my conversations with Ben and the real Angelica. I ran it over in my head so many times. Like, maybe the police made a mistake. So, of course, I'd never spoken to this woman, but she was the wrong Angelica. But, no, I knew everything about her. Someone systematically deceived me for two years. And someone had been recording a house I was going to move into for 20 years. And someone had recorded me when I was a boy. What happened 20 years ago to cause all this? It was so insane. I started to question everything. I felt I was being watched constantly. I started to wonder if my mom remembered anything. She saw me more than anyone at the time, naturally. When I called her up, she said she was expecting me to call. Now, I generally didn't call during the week, so I asked why. She said because of my little prank. I grew concerned immediately. I wasn't pranking anyone. I tried to calmly ask her what prank. She said the two guys. They showed up with a note from me instructing her to let them in. They've just been sitting there with their chairs pulled together in the kitchen, looking at the floor. You don't recognize them at all? She laughed and said no, but I think she was starting to realize I didn't know what was going on. They're dressed in bee costumes. You didn't send them? No. No, I didn't. I told her to calmly get out of the house and call the police. She said she was upstairs. She'd have to pass them to get out. I told her to keep me on the phone until she got out and to just go for it. I listened carefully. It seemed to be taking forever. They're gone. The front door was left open. I told her to call the police anyway and check in with me in a bit. While talking, I had absentmindedly walked from my office to my own kitchen. My front door was also left open. Now that seemed like too much of a coincidence. Also, I keep my doors locked. 
Well, I closed the door and I locked it. Then I looked all around the house with a kitchen knife in hand. I have a one-story with a basement, so it was easy enough to cover all the hiding places. Fortunately, there was nobody. So I tried to tell myself, maybe I just didn't close the door right. That was until my neighbor came over and asked me if I was having a costume party. I said no. That's when he told me he saw two guys in bee costumes leaving my home. They just walked straight across the road and behind the neighbor's house, into the woods. He questioned how they could even see in the woods at night. I picked up my mother and we went to the police station. I figured this one would be best in person. All these strange events barely seemed coherent, but I got the feeling it was all connected in some way. The police were baffled. They admitted someone was harassing me, but without more evidence, there was really nothing they could do. When we were making the report, my mom told me she'd been thinking about something just after this happened, something it reminded her of. Do you remember how you had this dial-up modem, and when you'd run it, you could swear you'd hear a little voice inside talking to you? The way she said it, it was like nothing, but it sent a shiver right through me. I didn't remember that at all, but I believed her. Yes. Yes, you'd set it a go, and in all the beeps and pops, you said there was a little voice in there with a message. To me, it was a lot of crazy noise, but you made me get real close and listen. And you told me it was saying, Abracadabra gonna grab ya, over and over. Can't believe I even remember that. You remember that girl I used to chat with online in the 90s, Angelica? To that, she gave me a blank stare, like she didn't understand a word I was saying. So I told her more, how I met her on the web ring, my Fortune City page was on. And didn't she remember my homepage at least? She shook her head. Really? I must have been on the computer all day back then. And she said, We never had the internet in our home. I said she must have gotten hit in the head, because I remember distinctly all these experiences being online. Building my homepage, IRC, ICQ, porn. All of that was when I was in high school. She flat denied it. She said she remembered, though, that I used to tell her I'd found a way to get into the internet without a connection. I'd have to call some number with my modem, then I'd have to sit still at the screen for a few minutes, something like that. She always thought I was joking. Before Detective Thoreau came to get us, she looked into my eyes. You should be careful on that internet, you know? A lot of bad things on there. She rose to shake the detective's hand. I was grateful to get off the subject. The detective offered to have a friend in computer forensics take a look at some of the sites I'd reported, but he didn't have much hope. After I got back home, I secured the house one more time. Then I got to work. The best lead I had at that point was this Holy Moses character, so I downloaded MIRC to see if I could find him in his old haunts. It had been a long time since I'd used MIRC. I barely remember how it worked. And there are so many channels on FNET, it would just take forever. So I decided to focus on channels that would have been relevant to Angelica back in the day. I just started asking in the channels like at Gothic and at Vampires if anyone knew of Holy Moses or heard of him. But each time I mentioned him, the channel fell almost to complete silence. I didn't get a yes or no. I got ignored. 
Sometimes users even started to leave the channel. I was about to give up and try another avenue when I got a private message from U4728 for you. He, or she, told me I shouldn't be doing what I was doing. I asked him why. He said, it doesn't come off well to them, whatever that means. He also said, Holy Moses is just a bot. It's been around forever, never logs off, and is almost always idling for days at a time. I told him if that was true, why was everyone so reluctant to talk about it? I didn't want to tell him Angelica's story. I just wanted to find out what he knew. He said the whole thing weirds people out because nobody knows who built Holy Moses. Nobody. Over decades, no one has ever claimed ownership. Not even trolls. Nobody knows where it came from or why it's there. It doesn't do anything. It's just there, he said. That's the creepiest thing about it. Always just there. Legends had built up around Holy Moses, he said. Like it was a government supercomputer monitoring IRC. Or it was the KGB. Or a ghost, a a bot left running long after the owner died and his bank account kept just paying the bills. But no one knows. It was just there. Users tried messaging it and it never responded. It never interacts in any channel. It offers no services. It has moments of apparent activity where it's no longer idle, but no one's been able to detect what it does during this time. Except occasionally a change of channel, seemingly at random. He said there was only one time when it did anything substantial, as far as anyone knew. Once in over two decades, and that only made things weirder. I was typing out a message to ask this guy what it was because he wasn't saying, but just then I heard what sounded like my front door slam. I paused and listened carefully, trying not to even breathe. I didn't hear anything. So I rushed out to the front door. Nobody was there, nothing disturbed. The doors were all closed and locked. I chalked it up to nerves and went back to my office. When I got back, U47284U 47284 had sent me a message. Where'd you go? Oh, nothing strange happened. That was a little eerie, but I was focused on getting answers, so I ignored it and asked what it was Holy Moses did. Fine, I'll tell you. And this is what he said happened. In 1999, at 5 a.m. Central Standard Time on November 21st, Holy Moses joined the channel Ornithology and made a series of short statements. At 7 a.m., Deceive them. At 9 a.m., Empty it. At 6 p.m., Abandon them. At 9 p.m., Turn back. And just before midnight, Have it your way. Then it went offline until January 5th. Just a one-word question. Why? Why be silent and useless for years, do that, and then never do anything after? Sometimes, when he really thought about it, he said, it gave him the serious heebie-jeebies. That was all he knew, or anyone knew, and he reiterated that I really shouldn't be looking into this and to just drop it. I thanked him for his help. I remembered a few more of what commands MIRC had after getting into the groove some. So I tried a slash who is on Holy Moses to see if he was out there. He was, or it was. 
It was on one channel only, Still Life. It had been signed on for 16 days and idle for three. Its IP address was showing only the letter Y. I was thinking about going to the channel and messaging him to see what would happen. But I suddenly got another message from U4728 for you. I told you to drop it. I know it's just text, but it freaked me out. I closed out of MIRC immediately and walked away. I figured it was just a nut trying to psych me out. You know what? It worked. I continued to argue with my mother the next few days about what she'd said, telling her she'd confused reality with a Lifetime movie. But she assured me there was no internet in her house while I lived there. She said I had my floppy disks that I'd take home with me, but that was it. We went on arguing for a while before it occurred to me to ask, Take home from where? She said she didn't know. I'd go out at times and I'd come home with discs. I had a sterilite tub full of them in my closet. None of them were labeled, so she didn't know how I had any idea what was on each one. But you seemed to know you'd dive into that bin and dig around through all those black discs, then you'd pop up with just the one I wanted. I gave you your privacy, but saw you do that a few times. Of course, I didn't remember any floppy disks. Either my mother was becoming senile or I was losing my mind. Both possibilities were upsetting. My mom's a really good person. She'd had a rough time since my dad died a few years ago, but she was super caring. She didn't like to see anyone hurt, and she could see I was truly upset, not just trying to be right. So she gave me a big hug, and she told me I should ask Ricky. Ricky? I hadn't thought of him. Ricky was an old high school buddy of mine. Well, we were friends from grade two until we left for college. Then we just sort of drifted apart. I had him friended on Facebook, but we never talked. You know how it goes. She said when I'd go out to wherever it was I went, I usually had Ricky with me. We'd walk all the way across the bridge into town to pass our weekends. I decided to take her advice. I sent Ricky a message on Facebook. He wrote back really fast. I was surprised because I never see status updates or any activity from him. I asked him if he was free for a phone call. I was scared about having another internet-only conversation, frankly. Facebook said he was typing a reply for about five minutes without anything happening. I wondered what the hell novel he was typing. Then my phone rang. I didn't recognize the number. I know I never gave my number to Ricky, so there's no way it could be him, I thought. While I waited, looking at my phone... Ricky started typing out periods over and over. I answered. The voice on the other end sort of sounded like Ricky, as much as I could remember, except it sounded like he was really far away, like on on an old beat-up CB or something. I don't know why, but it made me feel really weird and uneasy. I said I thought we had a bad connection. This is the best connection possible. I don't know what that meant, but I felt in danger I don't think it was Ricky I know before I could even ask what he knew he said then hung up I got a message on Facebook saying nice catching up he would never respond to anything after that I asked folks I knew if Ricky was okay apparently he was in a car accident years back and was mostly bedridden I made a note to try and visit him someday. Anyway, alt.rec.birdwatch is of course a Usenet news group. 
I used to browse newsgroups all the time as a teen, mostly for porn. I was surprised they still existed. Now I had to look up how to get to them. I remembered being able to do it through my email software, but apparently that's not a feature of Outlook anymore. So I looked up newsgroup readers and found one I'd used back in the day. Then I found some servers and started looking for alt.rec.birdwatch. When I finally found it, it turned out to be mostly British upskirt photography. I didn't understand why Ricky wanted me there. Until I saw a post with the header, Remember the dog? And instantly felt clammy and cold. I didn't know why, but there was something to it. Something I couldn't put my finger on. This is what the post read. Everyone remember how sometimes you'd go in there and it'd be all dusty and no one was there like it had been abandoned years ago? But you could still go and sit at a computer and get online? And remember how sometimes you'd go in and there'd be these people there? And they were really weird. And they'd just watch you like you were a rat in a maze and sometimes they were in costumes. Anyone remember the dog? Sometimes there were no people and there was just this dog at the counter. I think it was a golden retriever. It never panted, but it watched. And sometimes, it'd make you do things. That was it. And that was enough. I was trembling and I didn't know why. It didn't look like anyone had replied to the message and it had been posted three years ago. It seemed so out of place. I kinda started to remember. I remembered at least that there was an internet cafe in town. It didn't last long. Like most other internet cafes, it popped up around 96 or 97 to take advantage of the internet craze and let people who didn't own computers experience the wonder. When personal computers became more common, they pretty much died a quick death. This cafe was popular with the teens in 96? It got stale after that. That's when something happened to it. It changed management or something. It changed. We tried going back just to hang out, but most kids didn't want to be there anymore. I had some friends who just wouldn't go, or say why. But Ricky and I would hang out there all the time. Why couldn't I remember that before? (laughs) Maybe mom was right all along. Maybe that's where I was on the internet. I replied to the newsgroup message with, Why wasn't I able to remember? It was a long shot since the post was so old. Then I started looking through the other posts to see if there were others like it. There were others. They were all vague. But I knew what they were about. I knew. Someone posted, Sometimes when we were hanging out, we thought we were there for just an hour or so. But when we came out, the whole day had passed. And when we talked about what we did there, we had completely different stories. Even though we were together the whole time. It was like an acid trip. We were stupid kids, so we kept going. The Egypt. That's what the place was called. None of these people would say its name, but I remembered it then, suddenly. That strange little internet cafe just behind the post office, where I didn't even realize there was commercial space before. The Egypt. Someone else posted, There was this one time when my friend dragged me along and I didn't feel like being there. The owners or staff or whatever weren't there that day. It was the dog. I I don't like to think about it. Remember how it never panted? Somehow that sticks out after all this time. We were just goofing off, nothing special. 
When I looked over at my friend's screen, he was watching a live webcam of my bedroom, just staring at it. I'm thinking this is a dumb joke, but it pisses me off. So I told him that was weird and I was not okay with the webcam in my room. He just said, something's going to happen. Gave me the heebie-jeebies. He wasn't joking. It didn't even sound like him. Here's the thing that gets me most. I decided to leave, but need to piss first. On the way out, I go over to my buddy, and he's still watching the webcam. That annoys me, but worse, when I look at the screen, someone's in my bedroom ransacking the place. Under the mattress, in drawers, I'm ready to go home and get one of Dad's golf clubs. Then, the guy looks right at the camera and starts taking it down. I saw that dude's face. It was me. No doubt about it. That was my face. How is that possible? You're thinking the webcam wasn't live, but it was. Someone replied to that post with, When you were in the bathroom, did you try knocking on the wall? Someone knocks back. Someone replied to that with, I did. He said he'd let me in, but there's no door. In the sea of bird-watching photos and upskirts dating back to 95, that was all I could find. It took me all night. I closed it down. It was too much. I was psyching myself out. The next day, I had a reply to my post asking why I couldn't remember. It read, You weren't meant to. I felt it then. Something really wrong would happen in that place. The Egypt. So, I started doing some research into local records to see if I could find who owned it. They're public records, so it wasn't hard. I'd expected to find some change in management in the 90s, or where the place got sold in the 2000s. I expected wrong. It was purchased in 1980 and had had the same owner ever since. A company or organization called The New Way. It sounded like a cult. The weird thing is, that place was never used before the Egypt as far as I know. In 1980, there wasn't really an internet, so who would buy a place and then do nothing with it for 15 years, just waiting for the internet to happen? It all seemed too mysterious. Plus, there was nothing about this company anywhere. It's hard to describe how alone I started to feel at this time. I talked to some people in my life about what was going on, but their help was limited. That's why I decided to try to go back to alt.rec.birdwatch if it was still there. At least there, someone might be having a similar experience. So, I made my post. I asked if anyone else had heard of The New Way. Then I waited. To my surprise, I got a call from Ben right after. He asked me if I'd done anything recently. I asked him to be more specific. You must have done something because something happened. I still had no idea what he meant. He sounded strange. His words were just slightly slurred and there was no accent anywhere in his sentences, just a string of words, almost like a robot, but not quite. And it had that same distant quality that Ricky's call had. Something happening right now, I booted it up again. Now, Ben was just the most rational, bland guy. Something was definitely wrong for him to be acting like this. I asked him if he was okay. He said that I needed to check my messages. I asked what messages. 
Listen, you have to check your messages. They've been waiting for you. The whole thing didn't feel right at all. I asked him again what messages he meant. All I heard was little whispering sounds. I thought I was losing him. But when I listened carefully and turned up the volume, I heard it. Please, 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 please. He was saying please over and over and over. I felt a pit in my stomach. I asked if he needed help, if there was anything I could do. He went silent for several seconds. Ben? Still, silence. Please! I dropped my phone. I scrambled to put the battery back in with shaking hands, and then I called in a wellness check on him. I called the Guelph campus too, just in case. I didn't know what else to do. I'd never experienced anything like that. I checked my email right after to see if I had anything from him. But I didn't. I had no voicemails. The only other messages I could think of was ICQ. So I powered up the old computer again to check on my ICQ account. It's possible there was nothing. I just had to make sure. It took forever to load up. But there was a message waiting. It wasn't from anyone I recognized. The name on the account was Bernie Bush. The message said, Heaven. It was a link to an MP4 video. I clicked it. The download box said it would take 30 hours to complete, so I just let it go. I tried replying to Bernie too, but ICQ alerted me that the account was disabled. I also couldn't find any results on any search for such a person. I don't think Ben would ever make a fake account like that, but how did Ben know about the message? I got contacted by someone from Guelph University's campus security later that day. They asked me when I'd last spoken to Ben. I told him he'd just called. They said he hadn't been to work in a few days and he had not been answering the phone. I was apparently the last one to hear from him. They recommended I file a missing persons report. I asked if his family shouldn't do that, but the dude just snorted. So I made the report over the phone to the Guelph PD. I was pretty worried about the guy. I hoped he was okay. I also hoped his disappearing had nothing to do with anything I got him involved in. The next day I got an email replying to my newsgroup post. I recognized the address. It was the same person who posted about the dog. She said I needed to call her urgently and provided a 1-800 number, followed by what looked like a license plate number, 472-BMT. When I called, I got an interactive menu system for a tanning supplies company. When I listened to the options, I got the idea that 472-BMT might be how to navigate the menu. So, I pressed each of the numbers in the order she said. The system said I was being transferred to an account specialist. I heard someone pick up the line. You're starting to remember, aren't you? I think I gasped. She said she couldn't talk long, so I just had to listen. She wanted to tell me something that might help me. She said she started remembering about a year ago. She remembered the sessions in the Egypt. They preyed on vulnerable, misfit kids. Whoever came there got introduced gradually to this website called The Hole. Once they showed it to us, we had to sit there and study it, solve its puzzles. But it'd change us. 
that's what they always said. She didn't know if they built it or not, but it's what they were all about. I think we're all still in the hole. I tried to ask her what that even meant. What was she talking about? She'd already hung up before I got the chance. I tried calling her back, but the menu options didn't work anymore. I was more confused than ever. I felt like I didn't know what was real anymore. That's a terrible place to be. Trust me. All I was sure of was that I'd come into something very wrong when I was a teen, and it was coming back. I didn't know why it took a vacation or what it wanted. I just wanted my life back to normal. After that, I suddenly remembered the video file I left downloading on my old computer. I checked it, and it had completely downloaded. I wasn't sure I wanted to know what it was, but I played it anyway. I knew what I was looking at as soon as the video started. It was footage of inside the Egypt. It had been a long time, but it hit me fast. There was no timestamp, but the footage was grainy and the tracking was off, but I knew it. It looked like it was from a corner security cam. There we all were, sitting at our computers. Strangely enough, our backs were to the monitors. We were staring at a wall. I spotted myself in the group. We just sat there, staring ahead. Nobody was moving or saying anything. I couldn't make out what the computers were doing behind us, but we weren't touching them. What were we staring at? What were we doing? Why would I do this? I don't remember these events at all. I was the only one that ever looked away from the wall. I kept glancing over behind the bar. It was hard to tell, but... I think I was afraid of something. I looked frightened. I tried to make out what I was looking at, but the tracking lines were in the way. Then they faded just a little and I was able to make it out. Someone was standing there in the shadows. Whoever it was, at just that moment, he turned to look at the camera. It's like they knew I was watching. I know, that's crazy, but it creeped the heck out of me. I shut the video down right there and I do not plan to open it again. After that, I kept researching the new way, because there had to be something to it. I was able to find a record that mentioned the owner's name, Bernard K. Bush, the same name as on the ICQ message. I looked for obituaries, white pages, anything that could lead me to him. I didn't think to look for missing persons cases, but I stumbled on one anyway. An old homepage asking us to help us find Uncle Burn. I emailed his niece, presumably, from the address listed asking for more information. The page was made in the year 2000, so I didn't expect the email to work. But it did. I got a reply the same day asking me how I knew Uncle Burn. I wasn't sure how to answer, so I decided to just go with honesty. I told her more or less what was going on, leaving out the parts that would make me sound delusional. And this is what I got back. I'm going to put this all in one message because I don't want us to have to talk again. Uncle Byrne was a good man. He used to be a rabbi. He raised me after my parents died in an accident. He was good with electronics. He thought computers were the future. That's why he called his company The New Way. He bought up all the commercial space he could afford with his inheritance, all over the country. It was more than he could handle, so he just rented it out. 
Life was good. He kept selling computers in his little shop. I helped when I got home from school and on weekends. He kept bees and I helped with that too. Really, life was good. Until he married Connie in 1994. He met her during a visit to Europe. He said she worked in the same orphanage she'd been raised in and nobody knew much else about her. She was a strange woman. She didn't like me. She was into things that scared me. I saw her make a homeless man cry by staring at him. Animals would go quiet when she was around. Sometimes she'd hide under my bed for hours waiting for me to go to bed at night. When I did, she'd slide out and grab me. I'd scream and scream. She'd walk away like nothing happened. She didn't laugh or say anything. It wasn't a prank or joke. It was something else. I didn't understand. I still don't. I started sleeping on a beanbag chair in the basement after that. She'd often go into a corner of the room and whisper to someone. There was nobody there. No phone or nothing. She'd even get mad at whoever it was. Then she'd go back to knitting. She was always knitting something, but the things she'd knit were useless. Gloves with three fingers. Socks, but she'd seal up the ends so you couldn't wear them. I didn't hate her. I was scared to death of her. I don't know why she made Uncle Byrne so happy. I remember the day she started pressuring him to turn his rental spaces into internet cafes. She told him the internet was the real future and would outlast computers. She'd say, we are the internet. She made him get it at home even though it was really expensive then. She had him go to this website she said didn't really exist. I remember that because it always made me nervous when she talked about it. Uncle Byrne asked her who made it. She said she had no idea. Nobody did. She found it already made, just like everyone else. She told him it called to her. It called to everyone like her. At the time, I thought that sounded flaky. Now it just gives me the creeps. Uncle Byrne changed after that. They spent a lot of time on that website. I don't understand it. There was nothing there. I looked over their shoulders and it was all blank. But they saw all sorts of things. And when the internet cafes started opening, more people were involved. It was strange. They would sit and stare into space. And strange things would happen. Like I could swear I heard a voice in my modem when I'd dial up. And when I listened, it was saying, It hurts. I decided it was all in my head. Another time I got an email asking, why wasn't I able to remember? I don't know why that message upset me so much. Twenty years ago, but I remember it so vividly. One night, when I was alone with Uncle Byrne for once, I told him I wished things would be like they used to be. He said that's what everyone wants. But it can't be. He leaned in close and whispered, It talks. Tells us things. He told me about how... This is strange, and I didn't understand it, but I'll try. How human beings are set to be obsolete, and they need to upgrade for the new era. He said Y2K, if you remember that, wasn't going to affect computers like everyone thought. They'd be fine. It was going to change people. Either you evolved, or you wouldn't like what's coming. I didn't dare tell my Uncle Byrne that this was crazy. I couldn't hurt his feelings like that. But I knew something bad was going to happen. He and Connie went off to open their internet cafes all over, and I left home for college. 
Uncle Byrne kept in contact until 1999. Then he just disappeared. Connie, too. I know some bad things happened around those internet cafes. But it's not Uncle Byrne's fault. Please don't blame him. I had plenty more questions, and I sent them to her. But I never heard back. That's getting to be a real motif in my life. But at least she gave me some answers, and it all led right back to the hole. It had to be the same mysterious website. It just had to be. I figured if I ever wanted to know what was going on, I'd have to go to the hole myself. I pulled up the instructions Angelica sent me on how to get there. I can't say I felt like I was doing the right thing. I didn't. It felt ass over tea kettle wrong. Like there was something really terrible just off screen in my memories. I knew it was there, but I couldn't see it. So I welcomed the interruption when my phone rang. My neighbor was calling me to tell me the man in the bee costume was back. He said the man was standing in my front yard. I walked over to the window and peeped out. It was nice and toasty inside, but I felt my whole body breaking into goosebumps. He was there, under the streetlight, looking right at the window with its insectoid eyes. I asked my neighbor how long he'd been there. He said he called me as soon as he saw it and that I should hang up and call the police. I started to do that, but there was no point calling the police. As soon as I hung up, he walked across the road and into the woods. When hanging up, I received a notification on my phone of an email from Ben. There was no text, just a video file. I played it right away. It started with him speaking to the camera. He looked scared and like he hadn't slept in about two days. I... I went into hiding. Things just got too weird. Little stuff at first. Then one night, like... 3 a.m., a group of people I've never seen before knock on my door. I... I didn't answer. I watched them through the peephole. They didn't move. They didn't knock again. They didn't try to look in the peephole. They just stood there, staring at the door. They didn't look homeless or crazy, just people, normal, everyday people. I called through the door that they had the wrong address. They started laughing, loud, fake guffaws, then they silently walked away. Then I started getting calls where all I can hear is a man growling like a dog on the other end, and a few growly words like why and abracadabra. It, it must have really gotten to me, man, because I started having fits. I don't know what, what I do during these fits. I know I upset a lady at the grocery store. Whatever, whatever you got me into, it's, it's bad juju, like KGB Illuminati. Bad. 
He pointed the camera away from himself and towards a computer monitor. When he was turning, I recognized the notepad on the desk, the same one from his description. He was in that basement storage locker with the gopher sight. I thought he'd shut that thing down. There was an image on the screen, updating every few seconds. But this one wasn't pointing at my house like before. It was inside. Watch. With each frame update, I saw a new shot of the inside of my house. First the kitchen, update. The hallway, update. My office door, update. The door slightly ajar, update. The door opened more, update. Entering my room, update. Me, sitting at the computer. I could hardly breathe. I turned around, slowly, expecting to see someone there. But the video wasn't live, of course. When I turned around, the webcam was just a black screen. Because of that, I was able to make out the timestamp. It was tomorrow's date. I'm sure someone had just fiddled with the date, but that only made it creepier, if that's even possible. Now, I had video evidence of breaking and entering, except nothing to say who did it or why. I was losing confidence in the police altogether. The last thing Ben said on the video is that he went ahead and traced that link I gave him to the hole. He was able to get a specific address. I knew the address he gave me very well, because it's a duplex apartment I grew up in. That didn't make any sense. Still, I knew if I wanted to know what was happening, that's where I'd have to go. My hometown isn't too far from where I live now. I moved to go to college. It's about a four-hour drive away. My mom moved to be close to me after dad died, so I rarely have a reason to go there. I heard from mom when they decided to abandon the duplexes. For whatever reason, they couldn't sell them or rent them anymore, and they didn't have the budget to renovate. So the town government is just letting them rot. When I first heard that news, I didn't care much. I try not to get sentimental. But preparing to see the place again, where I had so many memories... It got to me. The days of me watching He-Man in my fuzzy Star Wars pajamas. The days of watching The X-Files with Mom. The days of lying in bed all summer reading UFO books. Of course, I realized it'd just be empty space now. Nothing in common with those memories other than a floor plan. Those feelings vanished soon after I arrived. I was able to sneak in through the living room window in the back, just like I used to when I'd get home from school and realized I forgot my keys. The moment feet hit the linoleum floor, the music started. It was low and distorted at first, so I couldn't make out what it was. It didn't matter. Someone had to be in there. And that someone knew I was there. I waited for a sound other than the music. Nothing. I felt a little more courage, so I started walking towards the stairs. The music got louder, but no less distorted. The tune was familiar, though. I went up the stairs, slowly. That's where my old room was. By the time I got to the top, I knew what I was listening to. Early in the morning by Vanity Fair, an oldie. It was coming from a grimy old radio propped in front of my bedroom door. That was odd, because the same song started playing again when it reached the end. What radio station plays the same song twice in a row? I switched the radio off. 
Doing that, I realized I telegraphed my exact location. I broke out in a cold sweat for a moment, waiting for something to happen. But all I heard now was a buzzing from the room, like like a beehive. I noticed my name placard was still on the door. Other people had lived there after mom left, I'm sure of that. Either those people chose to leave my name on a door in their home, or someone had put it back. Either way was weird. I opened it. I didn't and still don't know how to react to what I saw inside. The room had been set up to look exactly like it did when I was a teen. Not like it did after I left for college or even just before. Like it did in 1999. Down to the details. The Halloween lights around the desktop, Fangoria posters on the walls, my old Mr. T pillow on the bed. Someone had to have known my room in intimate detail to have done this. It was insane. Me, my mom, and Ricky are about the only ones. But there were some details that were off. At first, that was comforting. Then the more I thought about it, they seemed intentional. Like on the Candyman poster, it said it starred Tiny Lister instead of Tony Todd. And the wall was painted with the same style of stucco, but the color was a shade or two off. Things like that. They were everywhere. That was more troubling to me than the recreation itself. It's like it was recreated in a bad dream. Or it all meant something. I found where the buzzing was coming from at any rate. It was the computer. It was running. I sat down and activated the screen. Like the rest of the room, the desktop was a faithful snapshot of 1999. Every icon, just as I remembered. I couldn't find anything running out of the ordinary. It was like being transported to the past. That's when I noticed one thing out of order with my desktop. An icon, way in the corner, almost off the screen, called Milk and Honey. I never had any such file, I'm sure of that. I started moving the mouse up to it. I felt strangely afraid to open it. Before I could, the radio started blasting early in the morning again. My heart almost stopped. I looked behind me, expecting the worst. Nobody was there. I got up to switch the radio off, but it was still off. I checked the batteries, and there were none. That's when I realized the music wasn't coming from the radio. I don't think it ever was. I wanted to get out of there. I've felt fear before. I don't think I've ever known what dread feels like before then. Not really. But I had to find out what milk and honey was. It loaded a Telnet connection. I hadn't seen one of those in a while. The connection worked, because in a few seconds an ASCII mountain filled the window. I waited and waited for something to happen, but nothing did, just the mountain. I tried submitting some inputs. I even wondered if the connection died. I was going to retry, but I got a call from Detective Theralt just then. Are you alone? I thought that was strange, but I told him I believed I was, but I wasn't sure. He asked where I was. I told him. He said I needed to get out of that house slowly and calmly, get in the car, and drive back to him. His voice. I knew that sound. It was controlled panic. Something was definitely wrong. I was ready to listen, but I told him I wanted to know what's going on. 
He said he had had a gut feeling about something and decided to check back with Angelica to make sure everything was okay. Everything was not. He said that girl he'd put me in contact with two weeks ago was not Angelica. They had no idea who that woman was because no one's been able to find her. The home she was in was apparently between renters. Nobody lived there at the time. All they found left behind was a script detailing what she was supposed to say when she spoke to me. I was speechless and confused. I just readjusted my thinking to believe everything with Angelica was a lie. And now that the truth about the lie was also a lie, did that make the lie true? But it got worse. Detective Theralt said he contacted Angelica's family again and asked more questions. A lot more. She had every message I ever sent her printed out. Pictures of me, a map of my hometown, a doll. He said in some of the pictures I was clearly sleeping. Did I know of any such pictures? I I couldn't speak. He took my silence for a no, and he was right. There's more, but you have to get back here now. Call me. I thanked him and prepared to do just what he said. That's when I noticed more had happened on the Telnet screen. There was a question up. Are you alone? Is that you? I asked, but the detective had already hung up. I really didn't think it was him anyway. I just hoped. I responded in the Telnet client that I believed I was alone. As soon as I did, sounds started coming from the computer speakers. It came out slow and garbled. I had no idea what it meant, really. I only remember it because it kept repeating, so I was able to record it. Other than that, I couldn't find anything strange on the computer. I unplugged it from everything anyway, just in case. I got up, ready to calmly exit like the detective said. It would have been okay, I think. But I saw something. Something that froze me in place. There were strands of dark hair flowing from under the bed. I just kept staring at them. Mentally, I needed to make sure I was seeing right, that it wasn't just threads. It was dark in that area, after all. My eyes adjusted slowly, and I realized... I wasn't just looking at hair. I had been looking right into someone's eye for half a minute. And whoever it was had just been staring right back at me the whole time. I screamed and I ran, jumping several steps at a time out the front door. Sure, it wasn't my proudest moment, but what matters is I lived. I don't know who that was. I don't want to find out. Knowing I was being watched that whole time, it still felt like that eye was on me. That's pretty much ruined my memories of that place forever. There was just one other thing to do in town while I was there. The Egypt. I don't know if I disconnected the hole by unplugging that computer, but I still had to face the Egypt again. When I got there, the parking lot of the post office was completely empty. I parked in back, 
in front of the filthy old windows of what used to be an internet cafe. I didn't even have to break in. The glass in the door had already been busted. I just had to reach in and unlock. My hand started tingling as soon as I reached in. I kept expecting someone or something to grab my hand. When I got in, I was shocked to see it hadn't really changed at all. Computers everywhere, a sign-up sheet on the counter, and no one there. I started hearing some low voices. As soon as I did, I looked around for a place to hide. The voices continued, distant and muffled. It took me a moment to recognize my own voice. It was the conversation I'd had with Angelica, the part where she told me about being seen in places she'd never been. It was coming from one of the computers. I got closer to it, and I could see someone was up on the screen. I knew what it was right away. The animated skeleton gifs and links to conspiracy theories and Heaven's Gate. Yeah, it was my homepage. The one that was deleted almost two decades ago. I never thought I'd see it again. But why? Who put it there? On another computer, I saw a video of a middle-aged couple staring into the camera. Like they were watching me. And a little girl peeking over their shoulder. The woman said, it chose you, and the man was shaking his head slightly. They looked frightened. Then another computer started playing a song. I recognized the sound of Vanity Fair again, pitching a ride. That made it click. I just walked into a trap. I had to get out. But I couldn't. These people started coming inside. I hadn't even heard them approaching. A middle-aged woman with long black hair, well-dressed. An older businessman, it looked like. A rough-looking homeless guy. More and more people crowded in without saying anything. They were moving toward me. I tried talking to them, but their faces were blank, emotionless. They didn't seem to hear. I ran into the bathroom and closed the door behind me. It had a simple turn-the-bolt lock, so I locked it. I pulled out my phone to see if I could get the police but there was no signal. I started hyperventilating and had to catch myself against the wall. That's when I remembered the story about the guy knocking on the wall. Maybe there weren't bricks on the other side. I knocked for a hollow spot, and when I found one, I started kicking a hole in the drywall. I tore the rest of the hole open with my hands. There was space back there. I used my phone's flashlight to look inside. The space was about two feet in width to the brick wall. I stepped inside. There were tons of floppy disks stashed in there. It was crazy. I heard those people breathing outside the door. They weren't trying to open it or beat it down. They were breathing heavily against it. Then I saw something moving under the doorframe. I thought it was a finger slipping under, maybe trying to grab a shoelace or something. But it was too pink, too wet. It was a tongue. One of them was licking under the door. Well, that scared me enough to go deeper into the space, stumbling over pieces of sheetrock. But there was nowhere to go. I waited for something, anything to happen. I noticed two things. One, written above the hole I just made on the inside, the words, the hole had been painted. 
The other? It wasn't sheetrock I was stumbling over. It was bones. I don't know how long I sat there. Suddenly, the breathing sounds stopped. A few minutes later, Detective Theralt burst into the bathroom. The door splintered at the first thrust. Those people could have gotten to me if they wanted to. The detective said no one was out there when he arrived. While he escorted me out, I saw all the computers were gone. The guest book, all of it. But the bones and floppy disks were there, and very real. He said we'd have a lot to discuss. After I got away from the police station, I came home and settled down to try and relax. Anything to rest my nerves. Just as I settled, I got an email notification on my phone that said, Please look, and provided a link. I didn't recognize the number. But since the link was to a Guelph University page, I figured it was Ben. The link brought me to the webcam that Ben found a few weeks ago on the Gopher server. I was regretting my decision to trust it already. Why couldn't they just leave me alone? The frames kept updating, but nothing was happening. Until, with one update, I saw the trunk of my car was opening. When the frame updated four seconds later, the trunk was fully open, and someone was hanging half out. I guess I was mesmerized, because I just kept watching, waiting for the next frame update. Whoever it was, it was standing at my door. I went to my front door and looked out the peephole. No one was there. I looked at my phone again to check the webcam. Someone was, or should be, standing right in front of it. Maybe it was something that happened in the past? I looked through the peephole again, and it was blocked. It took a moment to realize I was looking right into someone's face. An awful, hate-filled face. I took my phone with me to my office and locked the door. I heard my front doorknob rattle and then open. I knew I locked it. Whoever it was walked in purposely right to the office, like they already knew where I was going. I didn't have much confidence in the lock. I expected the door to fly open immediately. Instead, I heard a weird, distant voice, just like when I spoke to Ricky. It was like the weather radio tuned to the wrong frequency. I called 911. I heard the operator pick up, but I couldn't speak. The door opened, and this person walked in. His face was hazy, but it was familiar. He had some kind of weapon. He forced me to get on my computer and go to the hole. He walked me through each step. I didn't have a choice. I did it. After all those years, there it was. The same bland page that seemed to do nothing. But I could feel it like fingers poking in my brain. It was like I was still in my office, but that guy was gone. So were the other things. I could see things that were always there, but weren't really there. It was all the same, but just a little different. I was still on the phone with 911, I realized. I tried to tell the operator that the man was gone. Nothing I said came out right. I kept telling the operator that I thought I saw a putty cat. And the operator was telling me, That's the captain. He's a jackal, and he's not happy with you.
You ever heard of freaking? It was disorienting, but I knew right away I was looking at Ben, and I wasn't in my home. There was a guy standing with Ben that I didn't recognize. I asked if I was in Guelph and how I got there. He assured me I was in a motel in my hometown. He didn't trust technologically facilitated communication anymore, so he came all the way to talk to me. And he introduced his associate as Milky. He found him holed up in a Catholic commune in rural Ontario. They said I was in serious danger. Milky spoke then. His voice was slurred. He was aware of it because he apologized for it. He went on to tell me what happened to him. He said he'd been part of this hacking community for years. Nothing for profit, just good old-fashioned mischief. They especially liked dicking with fringe and religious groups. They started on IRC. When the World Wide Web became a thing, they migrated to a web forum. One day, a hidden link appears on the forum. Other members try to scrub it and insist that no one touch it. One of the guys on the forum... One of their oldest members, who fled the Soviet Union back in the 70s, said he knew what it was. It was studied before, and it was never, ever supposed to be available to the public. Now, he'd seen what Stalin could do, what murderers could do, and he wasn't scared. That was life. This thing scared him. It sounded like a put-on. Milky said this guy had a healthy sense of humor, but the guy swore it was real. He said it started way back when the first computers were being networked. The electrons and other particles that are brought together and herded about and making these connections leave empty spaces of nothing where they were. It's like an anti-net. The more and more we all connect all over the world, the more this emptiness grows. And what's so scary about that, someone from the forum asked. And he replied, just because it's empty space doesn't mean there's nothing in it. He wouldn't elaborate on that. No matter how much they tried, he'd only tell them that he'd seen it for himself. Milky just figured the guy didn't want to make them curious about it. That failed. He was very curious about it, more than ever. So, he clicked the link. He remembered being disappointed by it, because it was just a blank page. But after clicking it, he started to notice strange things happening. He lost track of time. He'd be told by acquaintances that he'd done things he had no memory of doing, or that he couldn't have done because he was doing something else. This one time, he heard his dog barking. It was 3 a.m. He got up to see what was going on. The dog was standing in the entrance to his living room, just barking nonstop. He expects to find a mouse cornered in there. But he said he remembers being so startled he tried to scream, but no sound would come out. Two men in business suits were sitting on his couch. He immediately thought of a mob hit, but it's Canada. What mob? He turned on the light. They didn't flinch. They looked like normal businessmen. They were staring at the floor, drinking Capri Sun. He told them to get out of his house or he'd call the police. And they just got up and left. On the way out, one of them said, you asked us to come and sit here. He never saw those men again in his life. Another time, he called his brother in Vancouver to wish him a happy birthday. They had a pleasant chat and he hung up the phone, went about his business. About an hour later, it hit him like a punch in the gut. His brother died two years ago. He always called him on his birthday. He just did it so reflexively 
and when he got an answer, it was like old times. Who the hell was I talking to, man? His story sounded a lot like the ones the fake-slash-real Angelica told me about when I talked to her weeks ago. So, either I was speaking to the real Angelica then, or maybe this wasn't the real Ben and Melky. I guess I couldn't be sure about anything anymore. At least, it was less scary to believe they were real. During that time, he said, he kept checking the hole. He wanted to figure it out. He thought it was controlling him. He didn't remember the things he saw when he visited, but he said the old Soviet was right. It wasn't empty. What he saw in there, his brain wouldn't let him remember. I just wanted to know why all this was happening. Ben stepped in. He said there's only one way he can think of for this sight, if it can be called that, to influence a mind that way. It has to be electromagnetic emissions. It must somehow be able to read them off us and produce them as well. It's a technique that was experimented with as a form of freaking, but never with biological systems. As to why, he didn't think there was any purpose. It was just there and did what it did. It was the anti-net. It introduces emptiness, division, and chaos instead of connection. That's just a byproduct of its existence. And its existence is a byproduct of the internet, like angry Facebook arguments are a byproduct of the internet. It was never supposed to be something you could just navigate to. It was theoretical, a thing a few other computer scientists knew about. Somehow, someone leaked it out there. Now it was all over. It was buried on the Heaven's Gate website, hacking forums, occult sites. The fringe of the internet is where it moved. That was a lot to take in, and I'm not sure how much of it I really believe. On top of that, apparently several hours had passed since the man made me click to the hole. I suddenly remembered what the 911 operator said to me. Who's the captain? Milky was shaving when I asked him. His hand stopped moving. I saw in the mirror tears forming in his eyes. He was visibly shaking. Captain Meat. From the hole. It looks kinda like a dog. Then he went back to shaving like nothing happened. Later, I thanked Ben and Milky for saving me. For risking so much, really. Especially Ben. And for trying to warn me with the link to the webcam. But both of them denied ever sending that text. They asked to see it. They couldn't figure out where it came from. They checked the link to the webcam, too. It still worked. There was the front of my home. My car with the trunk still open. We watched it for a few frame updates before Ben noticed. Someone was in the trunk. It was dark and grainy. But that was definitely someone in there. And I shuddered when we all agreed that whoever that person was... They were looking right at the camera. Or at us. We turned it off. I woke up in the middle of the night a few nights later. We decided we didn't want to keep paying for the motel, so we were crashing with my mom by then. She was happy for the company. And she was obviously worried about me. She said I had to get a grip and not let my life slip away. Just solve this thing. It was weird. That wasn't the sort of thing my mom would say. Anyway, 
I woke up because I was hearing whispering sounds. You'd think louder sounds would wake you, but no, the whispers are the worst. I listened carefully, tried not to move. I wanted to hear where they were coming from. It was a two-way conversation. I couldn't make out any of the content though, just a word here and there. I got up slowly and looked towards the corner of the room. That's where I thought the sounds were. It took a little while for my eyes to adjust, and when they did, I saw Milky kneeling in front of one of the electrical sockets. He'd whisper something into it, then turn his head and wait. And whispers came back. He saw me looking. Some trick, huh? I guess it was ventriloquism? But why do that alone in the middle of the night? Because he was crazy. I got out of bed and went out to the kitchen for water. I could see someone standing out on the front porch through the kitchen window. Figuring Ben couldn't sleep either, I went out to ask him if Milky was really okay. Because he didn't seem to be. I flicked on the outdoor light and stepped out. But it wasn't Ben out there. It was Milky again. He tried to tell me something about constellations, but I walked back in. Something wasn't making sense. There was no way he could have gotten out that fast. Some trick, huh? I went into the living room. The TV was on. It was the episode of Seinfeld where George finds a doll that looks like his mother. That made me uncomfortable, so I changed to another channel. The program guide said the ninth gate would be showing. I always liked that one. But instead of the ninth gate, it was the Ten Commandments. Very different movies. Only one number off, though. Seeing Heston's Moses posturing with the Egyptians struck me. I never did get to speak to Holy Moses. I let myself be distracted, chased off, or both. And everything happening just seemed to be getting more and more filled with coincidences and connections that weren't adding up, or added up too well, which was the same thing if you ask me. I started up Mom's computer. It still ran Windows XP. It was Dad's computer and she didn't like change. I had to download MIRC. As soon as I did, I connected to FNet. This time, I was going to talk to him. He wasn't hard to find. Just a who is and there he was. In at H1N1. He was the only one in there besides me. Not a lot of bird flu fans, I guess. Before I could send him a message, an email notification appeared on screen. I guess Mom had it on auto start. The notification caught my eye because it said it was from Detective Theralt, subject information requested. I shouldn't have, but since it was from the detective, I felt it had to concern my situation. I clicked on it and read. As we discussed, here is the documentation on the dental records with the doctor's signature. The attached document was about the skeletal remains found in the Egypt. I felt a sudden wave of horror because I thought I knew what was coming. Dad's bones somehow got in there. But I was wrong. They matched the skeleton up to my dental records. Mine! I don't know who that man is, but he is not your son. That was just absurd. I knew my own mother for Pete's sake. I thought about deleting the email, but that wouldn't do any good. Then I started piecing things together, wondering if maybe I really was dead, or maybe I was an imposter and that's why I had memory lapses. Then I remembered I was just about to send a message to Holy Moses. Why did something always happen when I was about to message him? It had to be a trick. 
I went back to IRC and sent Holy Moses a message. Who are you? No response. I got a sudden message from U4728 for you. Do you know where your mother is? I ignored him. I sent another message to Holy Moses. Do you know what's going on? No response. U4728 for you messaged me again. Are you sure she's okay? I took a chance on what I remembered from Angelica's story. I sent Holy Moses a short message. The letter M. This immediately triggered a file transmission, which I accepted. It was a video file. It downloaded in about five minutes. If Holy Moses was as old as they claimed, this video would have taken a day or two back then. The video was called Freedom.mov. Milky came in from outside, stood a few feet away from me, and stared at me. That was unnerving enough. Then the pantry door started to open. Ben stepped out. He had to have been sitting cramped in there all that time. He also stood still and just stared at me. My mom came in from outdoors. Why was she outdoors? And where? She joined Milky and Ben. What's going on? They didn't speak. I felt the tension in the air and the assurance that something would happen. The suspense and stillness was getting worse than anything they could do to me. My heart was beating so fast. And I had been hearing a tripping sound for a minute or two without paying attention. Too much was going on. Now I looked at where the sound was coming from. I saw fat beetles crawling out from Milky's sleeves, over his hands, and dropping to the floor. What was going on? I think I was so afraid I couldn't feel it anymore. Slowly, I grabbed a loose USB dongle, attached it to my phone, and to the computer. I'm surprised that old computer could read the phone, but it did. While they stared at me, I transferred the video file to my phone. I unplugged the dongle, took my phone, and ran to the bathroom, where I locked myself in. I heard feet shuffle up to the door and stop there. I turned on the shower to drown out the sound and then started watching the video. The webcam being used was severely damaged by the looks of it, but I could make out a very sickly-looking older man. The audio was distorted, and I had the shower running. So I had to start it over and up the volume. The man said he had been trying to warn me. The dilaton distortion from the hole allows him to send messages during brief windows. If I am listening to this, he said, I am in the hole and have been for a while. Other things are also in here. While he spoke, I kept hearing screams in the background of the recording. Some sounded closer than others. He said these things don't want me going anywhere. I need to get out before it's too late. He knows, he said, because he's me. The last thing he said before the video ended abruptly was, The birds and the bees. I couldn't leave through the door, so I pulled up the blind to leave through the bathroom window. I almost shrieked when I saw my mother's face pressed up against the window. I was trapped. I thought about pushing through anyway, but I I, I couldn't hit my mother. I could hit Ben or Milky if I had to, but not my mother. So I took the door. Nobody was there. That just made me worry about where they really were. I stepped outside and still, nobody there. I hurried to my car before mom could come around from the back. Then I heard rapid footsteps. Ben was running right toward me from way down the street. Stop hurting me. But he didn't look in pain. He looked in rage. I got in my car and started backing up. 
When he got to me, he was pounding on the windows, still screaming. I drove straight back to my home, leaving them all behind. The only explanation could be that I'm in the hole, whatever that means. Because there was no other way Ben and my mom would act like that. But when did that happen? And what does that even mean, anyway? Before I even stepped inside my home, I knew something was wrong. Waves of something, just bad, pure bad, were hitting me. I opened my front door. Everything looked normal. I started turning on all the lights, and I grabbed a knife from the kitchen drawer. And then I saw them. Two men in bee costumes sitting on my treadmill, looking at the floor, not moving, almost like they were stuffed or forgot where they were. What do you people want from me? I kept a tight grip on the knife. They stood up. Then they both looked down the hall toward my office. I followed their gaze but saw nothing down there. After a few seconds of wondering what they saw, I heard the song start, early in the morning. While I was looking down the hall, they were already heading out the door. I decided to follow them, because whatever started that music gave me a worse feeling than them. As I stepped out the door, I'm sure I heard a dog growling behind me. I followed them across the road and into the woods. I turned my phone flashlight on to be able to follow them. It's like they could see in the dark the way they navigated the woods. The deeper we went, the more uneasy I became. They just seemed to keep going and going. But the deeper we went, the more I started to hear birds. You know, I never even thought of it before, but I hadn't heard any birds for a long time. Weeks, at least. Or locusts, or any normal springtime sounds. The more I followed the bees, the more I heard the birds. Until they got loud enough, I figured I must be under a massive collection of nests. I kept following them until it got too loud to bear. And then it sounded like machinery, like elevators. There was a machine, hidden out in the middle of nowhere. I followed them inside and then... And then I was back in my office, sitting at my desk, slumped over my keyboard. The corner of my mouth was wet. I must have blacked out. I picked myself up. It felt like I was just waking up from deep sleep. The room was bright with sunlight. I could hear birds chirping up a frenzy outside. My screensaver was on. When I shifted the mouse just to see what time it was, it was an email from the globetrotter.net Angelica. Pretty intense, huh? You can spend the rest of your life in there. I sat, disoriented for a while, before realizing I had to urinate, eat, and drink. When I had done those things, I looked around my home for clues. The knife I'd taken was back where it belonged. My old computer was put up in its box. I called my mom to ask if she was okay. She didn't remember any of the events from the previous night. That's when I remembered the video on my phone, from Holy Moses, I checked it, and it was still there. I knew I wasn't dreaming. I played it back. Here would be my evidence. The video was two minutes of distorted audio and video. In all the distortions, no recognizable sounds or images. That was a few weeks ago. It's taken me some time to get calibrated back to reality. Nothing strange has happened since. I can't explain what happened. Maybe I had a psychotic break. I was under a lot of stress at work. Maybe someone was gaslighting the hell out of me. 
maybe there really is a secret website that uses electromagnetic waves to mess with your mind. I'm just glad it's over. I'm glad to be going back to work like a regular person, making banana smoothies, not thinking about sinister internet cafes. I really do remember the Egypt and the hole, and it's like reality all twisted. I'll just end by saying... I don't think I'll be feeling any nostalgia for the old days of internet for a good, long while. The only problem I'm having is, whenever I'm trying to sleep, I keep remembering the whole nightmare and asking myself, am I still inside? But then, what difference would it make? sleeppodcast.com to learn more about the show and how you can sign up for Season Pass 10 when pre-orders start on November 5th. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and we hope you'll join us on November 12th for the start of Season 10. This audio production is copyright 2017 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc.